The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with two uh, uh, guests today. Uh, Brendan Walsh, Senior Vice President at the 1901 Group, and Ed Delisle, the Principal Attorney and Chair of the Government Contracting Group at Offit Kerman. Gentlemen, thank you for coming in. Yeah, thank, thank you, Mark. You. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. This is show four of my series on big issues for uh, facing small contractors. So uh, I want to start, uh, Brendan, tell people you know a little bit about you and 1901 Group, please. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Uh, so I've, I've been in government contracting my entire career, starting back in the early 1990s. Uh, I've been with large firms, small firms, startups, even back with a dot-com back in the day. Oh, yes. So my roles in uh, sort of pertinent to the discussions today, I, I started in the program project management arena and sort of grew into the sales sales management arena. And that really has helped uh, in my role today with 1901 Group. And uh, as, a, as a lead into who 1901 Group is, uh, 1901 Group is a FedRAMP authorized managed service provider, really focused on three service lines, one being cloud migration and cloud operations, which is a very hot topic. Uh, the second is cybersecurity, which is sort of baked into everything IT. And then third is managed services, whether it's network or application-oriented management. Um, in my role today, uh, which as we have time today, I'm really focused uh, with 1901, focusing on healthy relationships with a few strategic partners. And there's some nuances with the wording on that that maybe we can chat about later today. Sure, sure. Small businesses developing uh, uh, relationships with strategic partners is big here. Ed, <clears throat> tell people who you are, what you do. Uh, yes, sir. So uh, I'm Ed Delisle. I'm a principal and chair of the Government Contracts Group at my law firm, Offa Kerman. Offa Kerman is a full-service law firm with offices, about a dozen offices, uh, they go as far north as uh, New York City, as far south as Richmond, uh, Virginia. And um, my focus is uh, primarily uh, in the government contracts field. I've, I cut my teeth as a young lawyer many years ago, a uh, long time ago now, uh, on construction litigation work. And I performed that work for some period of time. And as I migrated over to the federal space, it just so happened a lot of um, the, the folks that I picked up, at least initially, uh, performed in the construction field. That's a lot of what I do. I service uh, government contractors that perform construction work for the Corps of Engineers and for the Department of Veterans Affairs and things like that. Uh, and I also service uh, clients in the IT sector, um, federal student loan debt collection, and, and things of that nature. That explains why you were at SAMI last week, too, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. So um, <clears throat> let, let's, let's just – Jump right in, then. You 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 indicated your Fed, are you FedRAMP authorized. Have you secured your first gig via FedRAMP? Uh, absolutely. Actually, we are uh, for the fourth consecutive year. Uh, we are FedRAMP authorized at FedRAMP moderate level for mm -hmm. our monitoring and management platform. Okay. And and I without being uh, uh, 
I, I, I know what it takes to get a FedRAM. So. It's a huge investment. Yes. But, but it's well worth it. And our CEO, Sonu Singh, had the vision years ago because we started the process over four. Um, so it was probably a year and a half to two years to get the first one. And then now that, that cycle of audit and update is, is, is running smoothly. Yeah. Oddly enough, after how many years the program's been in business, there's only about 105 fully authorized FedRAMP contractors. So it ain't easy. No, it's not easy. And and there's, there's even a more of a lift between the FedRAMP high authorization and FedRAMP moderate authorization. I don't really track the the FedRAMP low, um, but moderate uh, is probably where the, the, uh, majority of the authorizations reside. Okay. Now, you you guys at 1901 have a pretty uh, specialized uh, focus. So uh, your your uh, your systems architects uh, are really going to be subject matter experts in specific areas in in government. Um, for small businesses, keeping those people on staff and engaged is, is a huge problem. How do you deal with this? Um, we have put a lot of thought into that as a managed service provider from, from design or from the, the, the beginning of the company, the value of, of your, your organization really resides in, in the people and it, not to say it like a cliche, but we use a leveraged model, which requires the staff to support multiple customers, multiple agencies. So that subject matter expertise is, is really an inherent asset to the company. Um, one, one example we had, and it's part of our, our organization and design as a remote operations managed service provider, we had a young engineer out of Virginia Tech, um, came in to the company, worked with, with us for two or three years in our, in our operations center in Blacksburg, Virginia, which is the home of Virginia Tech. Uh, but he wanted to move up, move to a larger city. With our leveraged model, we were allowed and able to bring him to D.C., and then have him start working on different of the ITIL phases of design, implementation, operations for multiple agencies. So not only did we give him his career path that he wanted, um, we allowed him to expand and sort of challenge his his daily routine. And I think that's really important for retention of subject matter experts in any career, any field, is keeping them challenged and keeping the work fresh. Okay, um, so you you mentioned the uh, um, the as a service model, um, and and let's let's back up. You you mentioned definitely your strategic relationship. So you can mention them or not mention them, but small businesses often have problems even getting on the radar of larger companies. So how do you develop those uh, strategic relationships? with uh, larger firms, be they primes or, you know, for lack of a more specific term, the OEM community? Yeah, I, I think with cloud, that sort of changes the dynamic a little bit. I think with as a service, that changes the dynamic a little bit. Uh, and in, in that, uh, being a reseller and a VAR and in, in sort of the traditional uh, IT um, uh, commodity product uh, arena that that's harder to get the attention of a large OEM uh, with 
uh, using an analogy, the, the cloud migration is more of a, a train leaving the station. And we use the, the, the analogy or the picture of each train car is really a program within an agency migrating or moving. So small businesses can absolutely go after the program level at agencies, work their relationships, work their core competencies, understand how to work procurement. Don't oil the ocean. Don't go after the entire executive agency, but go after the programs. And once you get a program on your side and you get engaged, guess what? The AWSs of the world, the Azures of the world get very interested. So from a typical laptop manufacturer, printer manufacturer, I think it's harder. But the days of cloud and moving things to as a service, I think it's a great opportunity for small businesses. Okay. I want to get back to this. Oh, sorry. Ed, go. Well, I was just going to say, in terms of strategic uh, relationships, the Small Business Administration has certainly uh, helped uh, in that regard by the um, initiation of the All Small uh, Mentor-Protege program. It has uh, moved in that well moved in that direction about two years ago when the, when the program started, and uh, the whole point of it is for uh, strategic relationships to be built between large and small business concerns. It's been uh, dramatically successful over the course of the last two years. Uh, agencies have become much more uh, comfortable, at least as, as far as I can tell, and based on the people that I've spoken to, providing opportunities for small businesses that have created these strategic relationships with larges uh, such that they can pursue these opportunities together through the program. So it's an important change that's happened over the last few years. That's a great point. Have you guys at 1901 done mentor-protege? Uh, we haven't yet. Uh, we, we do work with large system integrators as partners. Mm-hmm. Um, we we now are getting, I think, in the next year or two to the point where we could be a mentor and not the protege. Um, but everything is, you know, small steps. Right, right. And I should point out, you know, this is uh, uh, big issues facing small contractors. 1901 has no set-aside status, but it is a small business, so it's in more of a unique situation than those with set-asides because you don't have, you know, the the 8A channel. You certainly don't have access to the ANC. So there's no monies that that you can win without bidding. Correct, correct. And, and typically most of the competitions that we are engaged in are, are more full and open competition. The RFPs, RFIs coming out for cloud, cloud migration, cloud assessment, um, uh, as a service, network as a service, application as a service, security as a service. Uh, th- most of those are coming out more full than than a set aside to an 8A or to a specific socioeconomic. Okay. On those bids, do you see FedRAMP as one of the, the uh, requirements? Uh, more and more. Okay. Um, we have seen more recently, I'd say over the last year or two, the requests for information coming out are, are more technical. They're more complex. The responses require more effort from the 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 uh, contractor community, and we are starting to see the requirement for FedRAMP within the different uh, uh, niches of service offerings. So cool. absolutely, so that that you can certainly leverage that. We're going to take our first break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We shall return right after this. 
Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Uh, I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with Ed Delisle, Principal Attorney and Chair of the Government Contracting Group at Offit Kerman, and Brendan Walsh, Senior Vice President at the nineteen at the nineteen oh one or nineteen oh one group. Is there a the there or not? I think nineteen oh one group is the the proper there you yes. go. Thank so, you for asking. Jettison, jettison the D. And it's 1901group.com? Uh, yes, correct. Okay. And off at Kerman.com, O-F-F-I-T-K-U-R-M-A-N.com. So got that out of the way. And again, this is show four of my series on big issues facing small contractors. So I want to get back to the these the small status. Um and and 1901 Group is a small business with no set-aside category. And there are thousands of those out there. Um, I can't begin to, you know, even remember the first calls I had from from Smalls wanting to come into the government market. But, you know, from from my perspective, there's there's a, uh, a huge incongruity in the status starting back, well, starting way back, but, you know, with, with Ted Stevens' push for the ANCs. Um, they have ridiculous leverage, um, and you know, God bless them, take advantage of it. But I don't think that levels the playing field among small. So, Ed, you do a lot of work with uh, small companies and small mids. So, uh, give me give me your take on this. Sure. So, uh, there certainly is something to be said for how the sausage is, is made, particularly in a place like Washington. And uh, I'm, I'm speaking specifically of the legislative process. And you mentioned Ted Stevens and, and the manner in which he was able uh, to secure uh, uh, things for ANCs that perhaps some of the others. Uh, and other- additions to his house. <laughs> Well, he did a very good job in representing uh, his constituency, that's yes. for sure, uh, which includes himself. Uh, no, but he did a very good job, and uh, these incongruities that you're talking about can sometimes pop up when the sausage is is made. The problem uh, can be uh, you have uh, all sorts of competing interests at stake, and in this particular case, you have your 8As, which include your straight 8As, your ANCs. Then you have your hub zones, SDVOSBs, WOSBs, and then like 1901, your straight small businesses. All of them are competing uh, for effectively what is the 23% goal that the government has set for itself uh, in terms of um, uh, providing contracts to businesses that fall into those uh, categories. There was a time in the not-too-distant past where uh, many contracts or let's say too many contracts – uh, were issued on a sole source basis and even above and beyond the um, the threshold levels that, that we have now. For ANCs, it's $22 million. For uh, 8As, we're talking about $4 million, generally speaking, uh, for non, uh, non-manufacturing. There was, a, uh, there was a GAO study that came out in 2012 where an investigation was conducted into the sole source awards that uh, were uh, taking place above those threshold levels. Uh, and agencies... Apparently, at the time, were either unaware or didn't understand the type of justifications that were necessary in order to make those happen. Uh, the uh, FAR Council came in and tweaked with uh, the the FAR provisions that pertain to that uh, a little bit. And then when the GAO followed up in 14 and 16, that part of, of the problem seemed to sort of correct itself. So you didn't have as many of these things being handed out non-competitively after that point in time. 
Now what has happened is you've had sort of this bigger shift to assist other smalls, and it's happened in a couple of different ways. The All Small Mentor Protege program that I mentioned earlier is one of them. So the All Small Mentor Protege program is designed to assist some of these other companies that aren't quite, uh, don't have quite uh, as many advantages as the 8As and the ANCs. So your, uh, the All Small Mentor Protege program is designed to also help hub zones, SDVOs, WOSBs, and straight small businesses in partnering with large business to go after procurements uh, that are set aside for smalls to enhance their ability to win these contracts. So there, there was a shift in that direction. Uh, there was also a uh, shift in that direction as the SBA began to think about some of these other programs and uh, decided to revamp some of the regs themselves. It just recently happened within the last week with hub zones. The regulations for hub zones has changed to make it more advantageous to be a hub zone and make it easier for agencies to award to hub zones. Very confusing regs, perhaps not as we move forward. I, I've read a couple of blogs on it, so I, I'm, I'm a little puzzled as to how employees can move out of the zone and then whatever. Um, but what they what they tried to do is they've tried to uh, by changing the regs to, they tried to make it a little bit easier on companies to adhere to things like the right. employee uh, the employees need to live within a hub zone whether it's where the principal place of business is located or elsewhere. Um, and they also recently tinkered with the WSB program. Uh, I think that one has uh, sort of um, uh, faltered a little bit. Uh, they changed the regulations a few years ago. We haven't seen an, uh, as much of an uptick in set-asides for women-owned small businesses as I thought we would see. Does it have any teeth? Well, I mean, teeth, yes, uh, I suppose, but and I guess we'll get into this in a little bit. With the advent of the Max and the Matox and that sort of thing, there's a, a que- big question out there as to what's going to happen with a lot of the small businesses within that context. I mean, I'm, I, I'm happy to make the argument that they'll, that they'll benefit but they're only going to benefit if the contracting uh, personnel who are in charge of these solicitations actually uh, decide to follow the FAR's recommendations and offer these opportunities for smalls. Okay. So, so Brendan, on, on your side of the equation, you're bidding full and open. Do you uh, uh, plan on or do you own spots on any of the GWACs or other IDIQs? Yeah, we we uh, invested in the GSA Schedule seventy a few, you know, I, I think it's seven years ago. Uh, the original sin was one thirty two dash fifty two, which was the old e commerce, which really fit the managed service provider model back in the day. Um, we've recently gone and and been awarded the one thirty two dash forty, the new cloud sin, which obviously has application uh, to to what we do. Um, and then we do have the one thirty two dash fifty one which is the traditional IT sort of labor skill set, labor rates, um, just in case we need those for firm fixed price buildup opportunities and bidding. Okay, but you, you weren't looking at Alliance Small or Oasis or? Uh, we, we did uh, pursue Alliance Small Business 2. We do hold Alliance Small Business 1 or the first one. Um, one of the challenges that we've seen over the years in some of these platforms or contract vehicles is the RFPs coming out or the task orders coming out are still labor-based. So even though the narrative says innovation, the narrative says automation, they end up asking you how many people are going to sit on site and what is the hourly rate. Well, as a managed service provider and a remote managed service provider, 
those are those are tough for us to compete with with companies that are built on the labor rate model. Right, and finding talented people is getting tougher for everybody anyway. So it's a very very competitive uh, uh, game. Yep, exactly. Um, have you seen changes in that? Well, what's interesting, so uh, Alliance is actually a great example of uh, the government's uh, decision to use uh, a MAC in order to assist small business. Because if, for Alliance, you had large a large business uh, pool and you had a small business uh, pool. Same thing has been happening for years with the Department of Education and its federal student loan debt collection practice. You have a small business pool and a large uh, business pool, even though the work is exactly the same. If you were to lie, uh, lay the solicitations down next to one another, they're nearly identical. But what uh, government has done, at least these particular agencies, agencies GSA on the one hand, uh, ED on the other, they have decided that uh, providing opportunity, a, a specific opportunity for smalls is in their best interest. And there are lots of reasons for that. The 23% uh, goal is certainly one of them. And they've been providing those opportunities, which is a good thing. Okay, because, you know, I know on soup, for example, that there's been a lot of uh, small companies that have gotten great traction. However, uh, even with the expanded soup roster of contractors, there's only 192 companies that own a piece of it. So it's not going to be a huge percentage of these smalls. But Joanne works really hard for everybody on her contracts to uh, to come out ahead. So... Um, Anything else on on the uh, the set aside right now? Fire? Not on the set aside, but on I guess if we're transitioning to the the vehicles, uh, Soup has been good about adding contract line items for more as a service. So the vehicles are trying to adapt. Um, there is positive movement in that arena. Soup's always been at the forefront of being able to add products and services to their schedule in an extremely timely manner, as opposed to some other agencies that we won't name. Well, maybe I will. Who knows? Um, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Uh, I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with Brendan Walsh, Senior Vice President at 1901 Group, 1901group.com, and Ed Delisle, Principal Attorney and Chair of the Government Contracting Group at Offit Kerman, offitkerman.com, O-F-F-I-T-K-U-R-M-A-N.com. Um, I, I want to talk about... Uh, uh, Subcontracting issues, but I want to start by by asking um, Brendan. You know, on, to 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 subcontract, you really have to bring a skill to the table. The set aside status is kind of icing on the cake, but the the skill is usually what gets you in the door. So, uh, how do you guys deal with that? A very timely question, and uh, when you look at the combination of subcontracting. Uh, with as a service or cloud, I think the opportunity for small businesses to show value with the larger partners is is really timely. In that, we get calls because of our FedRAMP authorization every single day from a, a larger firm looking to respond to a, a, propo- a request for proposal and seeing our FedRAMP authorization. But behind the scenes to any small business, being able to carve out that niche of as a service we built our enterprise IT ops center in Blacksburg, Virginia. We've got 170 so folks down there today. We've got over 400 cloud and engineering IT certifications. 
So we have more certifications than we do employees. And to a large, the investment we've made in FedRAMP and the investment we've made in training and certifications is that hook. It's why would a large allow, and not only why, but how will a large integrate a small into a true concept of operations and delivery? So I would advise any small, look at the as a service, look at the cloud, and and that's a great hook uh, today in today's market. Okay. Well, it's interesting. From uh, my perspective, a lot of times what I end up dealing with, I'll get phone calls from uh, folks who are smalls. Maybe they're service-disabled, veteran-owned. Maybe they're women-owned. And uh, they're looking to team either with a large or with other smalls. A few years ago, the Small Business Administration made it much more uh, friendly for smalls to work with one another from a subcontracting standpoint. So if you have a set-aside contract that's been uh, set aside, for example – uh, for a service-disabled veteran-owned small business, that business can subcontract to another SDVOSB and not run afoul of – potentially run afoul of the limitations on subcontracting, which uh, depending upon what sort of service the, the um, uh, contract is calling for, it could be 15, 25, 50 percent. They've changed the, uh, the verbiage the last few years the SBA has. So it's now um, 75, 85, 50 uh, but do they, it, do they ever inform the contracting offices that they're doing this? <laughs> they, well, the, the, usually it's the lawyers uh, who inform the clients who then inform the contracting officers. That's typically the way that that, uh, that, that works. Um, but from a, you know, a set-aside standpoint, what the SBA has done, uh, they've made it much more attractive uh, for smalls to work together from a subcontracting perspective, which is nice. Um, because they're not constantly uh, uh, looking for larges to subcontract to on these set-asides, though it's, it always does happen and it's, it always will happen. It's not something that exclusively happens any longer thanks to what the SBA has, uh, has done. Okay. So on uh, let's, let's go back to, uh, to 09 when you guys opened shop, and I don't know when you came into the picture, but probably not day one. Um, so – how did 1901 start to differentiate itself from the outset? I mean, you, you obviously didn't start a center down in Blacksburg and populate it immediately. So what what was the initial uh, growth factor? Actually, we did. Well, there you go. <clears throat> so our, our first piece of work was as a subcontractor to a large telco. And our piece of work was to do the remote operations of a Cisco-based network for a university in the, the, on the West Coast. Okay. So we actually started in Blacksburg, our op center on Tell day Tell me one. it was Silicon Valley area. <laughs> no, no, Gosh. no. Um, Southwest, okay. uh, a great university, but leave the name out. That's fine. Um, but that, that was really the I was origin. just hoping it was Stanford. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. That would have been, that would have been nice. Um, so we actually started from day one as a remote operation-centered oriented company, and that really changes the mindset of how you bring resources into the company, when you hire people, how you take on costs, how you take capital expenses to grow. Um, so it's it was it's been from day one, and our our CEO Sonu Singh's vision was really way ahead of the time. Okay, so so he actually was looking for that kind of gig to kick off the company. Uh, absolutely, he actually he actually <clears throat> pitched the idea at his former company, and we'll leave names out of it of this. IT factory model 
1901 is the year that Ransom E. Olds invented the assembly line. So Sonu named our company after the the mechanism of automation, of streamlining a process. So from day one, we looked at how do you automate the routine O&M, router, switch, server maintenance. That's the origin of 1901. That's cool. I like that story. And you pitched directly uh, to them. Is that, is that how it works? Ab- absolutely. Yeah. He, so Sonu presented to his company, larger companies board, the concept, and it just did not fit a large system integrator's culture of investing in a leveraged model that would support multiple customers at one time. Mm. It's just not how, how things ran. So okay. fortunate for all the employees who are at 1901 now. Yeah, and fortunate for those Blackbird graduates that wanted to stay there because they love their town. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, strange how some people don't want to leave and how others can't wait to get the hell out. So, but if you want to stay, there's a gig. So get that EE degree, boys and girls. So um, subcontracting opportunities is is one thing. Finding the right bidding opportunities is something else. Do you guys use one of the uh, bidding services, or do you just uh, uh, do the ABM model in your own BD? Uh, the latter. We we do. We really try to do our own business development and our marketing and communications, social media trying to get out, evangelize, educate our prospects and customers, and work with a few strategic partners. And I say that with a lot of emphasis because you can't, as a small, you can't support every manufacturer. You can't support uh, every cloud service provider. It's just not not po- possible. Um, so we really spend time on where they're, it's a two-way street. We bring opportunities to that large. That large will bring us into opportunities. And that's hard to find that's hard. That's that's not easy. Yeah, and doing a little uh, research for the show, I've I've known Ed for for a little while now, not a long time, but I've not met you before. Um, so I naturally looked at your LinkedIn profile. But the first thing I looked at on on LinkedIn when I want to really know somebody is shared connections. So I I figured you know if you guys were in the as a service model as as a company and doing that the data center. That we would share uh, some some primes and some OEMs, and lo and behold, there they are. So uh, well, I, I may have to take one of your LinkedIn classes because well, that is not my, <laughs> not my strength. Not my strength. Well, what's interesting uh, from my perspective is to hear the story about business development, and you know, folks that listen to your show, uh, Mark, uh, obviously know all about business development in the federal marketplace, but uh, not not everybody is as astute. And understanding what that really means, you know, I have folks call me all the time, and and they're uh, languishing because they're not finding opportunities. Well, you're, you need to market to your customers in the same way with uh, if it's the government as if it's the co- uh, commercial private marketplace. It's the same thing, different set of customers, but it's the same uh, idea. You have to actually get out there and market yourself to them. Have a great product. Know who your customers are, who you want them to be, and get in front of them. Right to sell. No, I think that's the that's the the essence of it. And as a, for the very smalls, when you're billable and in charge of sales, and you're the <laughs> HR department, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. So you know, it's time management and pick a couple very good prospects and, and partners and work with them. Well, let, let me focus on that for just a minute. Then, uh, when I mentioned ABM account based marketing or in our market agency based marketing, do you focus 
on a few agencies because what you do is truly applicable across the board. Yeah, uh, again, great question, and the answer is yes. Uh, when we started the federal practice uh, back in 2010, which was a few months after we, we started the company, we really went after federal civilian agencies. And the reason why is that within federal civilian, there's a FISMA moderate sort of stream or, or commonality with data and data sensitivity as compared to the intelligence community or Department of Defense. So we, we really have worked over the years to, to have Fed Civ as our, our beachhead and then expand as we secured a top secret clearance, as we obtained our FedRAMP authorization, et cetera, et cetera. All those pieces are building blocks to expand across federal and then state and local. Uh, but we did start with federal civilian. Okay. Without naming agencies, does the majority of your business come from one or two agencies? Uh, no. No, okay. it's it's so spread it out spread. over probably 20 now. We probably have our top five major accounts. Okay. Um, but it's certainly not. We, we've worked hard not to be a single contract, single customer, um, you know, focused. Cool. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center, part of the Federal News Network. We shall return for our last segment right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here with uh, Brendan Wall, Senior Vice President of the 1901 Group, and Ed Delisle, the head of uh, the chair of the Government Contracting Group at Offit Kerman. And I, I want to start with, uh, with Brendan again. Um, this is the, my fourth show on on small or uh, big issues facing small contractors. So you know, uh, I, I I'm going to phrase it this way, even though I hate the question. What keeps you up at night as a small business guy? What are the big problems facing smalls with no set aside? I think that. When you look from the sales and marketing perspective, not really the delivery, you know, post award, but but IT modernization is, is often overused, but it's, it's really the hot button in the federal market today. And, and that really requires a shift uh, across the agency or, or respective agencies in, in looking at change. How do they change their procurement? How do they change their funding? How do they change contracts? How do they change uh, scopes of work? So- our biggest challenge, what, what what keeps me up at night, is when we go out and find a prospect that's really suited, that we think we have a great probability to win, there, there's got to be three yeses. The the senior leadership has to say, we're going to move to the cloud in some form or fashion. There's got to be that buy-in from the top. Then, and not in order, not in order of importance, the the federal program management leadership has to buy into, we're going to change how we deliver how our programs are going to deliver, whether it's federal civilian servant and or contractor, what the mixes are. And then third, the contracting officers, the procurement community, has to be able to solicit as a service or cloud or consumption-based. They have to be able to evaluate. LPTA is not always the best thing for as a service. And then they have to be able to award a contract that really allows consumption-based contracting. So when we find those three, the top, the middle, and procurement, we get excited. That's real opportunity. And I'd, I'd say to any small business prospecting, doing business development, look for those three or look for one at a time. But that's really the roadmap. Cool. Any thoughts on that? 
Well, it's interesting because that was a very thoughtful, uh, detailed response, and I wonder. Uh, it, it's a great, it's a great service to other smalls that are out there that are trying to sort of think for themselves how to approach this, uh, you know, this this monster of the federal government, you know, in terms of how to do it. Uh, so, very thoughtful response, and and I would uh, gather that many smalls don't think through the process that way. So, kudos for you uh, to you for doing it in such a in such a detailed fashion. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and and um, you know the 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 deeper I dive into this, I find that there is a big gulf between those companies that get it and those companies that are really struggling. Um, and if they would understand how to get it, then they would at least struggle less. So I, I want to touch on as as we're closing out here the the top legal issues facing smalls in this market. I mean. We, we kind of mentioned it maybe in the outtakes that there's more paperwork for smalls. There's more regulations for smalls than there is for large. And that makes it very difficult, too. But other than that, what are the biggies? Well, we have a few. Uh, we have one sort of uh, big issue that everyone seems to uh, understand, uh, sort of, at least from a, uh, from a um, very – high standpoint from 30,000 feet, but they're, but they're deathly afraid to sort of get in the weeds about, and that's cybersecurity. I think that's probably uh, the number one thing on a lot of the minds of a lot of folks. Uh, small businesses, uh, for one reason or, or, or another, maybe it's an information gap, I don't know, but they seem to be the most uh, at risk of um, falling into issues or problems as it relates to cybersecurity. So a few years ago, when um, uh, the uh, FAR was uh, altered to address cybersecurity risk and the sorts of um, compliance that uh, companies, both big and small, uh, had to take into consideration for purposes of being compliant uh, by the federal government, you would have thought that folks would have seen that. There, there are sort of 15 different components that a, a, a contractor, whether it's big or small, has to, um, has to sort of check off. I, I'm shocked to this day how many small businesses don't understand that it's uh, that it's incumbent upon them to follow its FAR 52-204-21. And I guarantee you any contract uh, that's been issued over the course of the last two years has that contract provision in it. And it means as a government contractor, you need to follow it. Small companies, for one reason or another, don't understand it. And for companies that do work for the Department of Defense – in December of last year, uh, there were further regulatory requirements added, uh, which require uh, investigation and reporting to the extent that there are uh, there are breaches in security. And I can tell you that small businesses, by and large, don't understand the importance of it, and they and they need to. Uh, there, this this is not a situation where the government has said, okay, well, best efforts are okay. No, you need to be compliant today. And if you're not compliant, there are issues, uh, False Claims Act issues, for example, uh, ethics and compliance violations that you need to be worried about uh, that all come into play. And your size doesn't matter, meaning that if you're small, you need to understand it. So that's certainly one of them. Okay. That's one. So uh, the other thing that I've been sort of talking about now for the last several years, and it happens – started to happen very slowly and now it's happening more quickly. There's been this sort of tectonic shift from uh, 
the, the importance of 8A companies to, and we, we mentioned it as part of our discussion here today, to all of the other small business and small business disadvantaged categories uh, that, are, uh, that are out there. Okay, so it was uh, there was a point in time when everyone wanted to talk about 8A companies, not so much HubZone, not so much WOSBs or SDVOSBs, but based on the regulatory changes that we've seen come out of the Small Business Administration over the course of the last three or four years, that is shifting and opening itself, uh, and it's providing opportunities for all of these other companies, and they need them. If you take a look at the breakdown of um, the 23 percent of small business uh, contracts that the federal government has issued over the last three years, each of the last three years, and that's the goal, 23 percent, and the government has been hitting it. It's not been hitting it in some of these smaller categories, which is why you've seen some of this regulatory change. Hub zones, for example, last year, uh, the percentage of, of that 23 percent that went to hub zone, 1.8 percent, very small. Okay. Women-owned businesses, the goal was five. It came in about four, four and a half. So they, the government missed it. So you're seeing this Better uh, than this I would shift. have thought, though. It, a little bit better. For women-owned businesses, I didn't think it would be quite that high, um, but it came pretty close to the 5%. Did much better than hub zones uh, did. Yeah. SDVOs, they missed, uh, they missed the mark uh, for SDVOs as well. They overshot uh, for 8A companies. Instead of five, they were closer to 10. Yeah, yeah. but... 8As has its own contract with 8A Stars too, and um, you you can award without competition. You can, and uh, it, it definitely provides an advantage with the uh, with the advent of the all small uh, mentor protege program and the, the regulatory changes that we've seen. This shift is occurring, and the hope by the SBA course is that you're you're going to find more opportunities if you're a hub zone or a WSB. So. For all the smalls out there or prospective smalls, if you think that one of these categories might be good for you, it's a good time to investigate it. Okay, cool. So let's get some final thoughts here. Uh, we'll, we will start with Brendan. Oh, thank you. Uh, I would say for any small listening, it goes back to the the time you spend with business development and partnering. Um There's an enormous amount of information that the cloud service providers have out on the web of their service descriptions, of their SLAs, uh, of their uh, technical componentry, uh, of their IT security controls and authorizations. And as smalls want to look and spend time developing their own as a service offering, I would recommend you, you look at the Googles, you look at Azure, you look at AWS and others, and really see where your core competency can be put on top of or around the the offerings, the infrastructure, the investment that these these other cloud service providers have built. Um, I I believe Amazon or AWS now has fifty nine FedRAMP authorizations for services. Yep, it's an incredible amount of information. Um, so I, I would recommend Smalls really take a look at that and where can you build an offering and, and differentiate yourself. There you go. Ed, final thoughts. Final thoughts. Uh, we talked a little bit today about strategic uh, partnering, and I think now more than at any time, strategic partnering is uh, a great term for smalls to keep in mind as they proceed uh, through and perform their federal government work and pursue their and pursue new work. Uh, between the changes that the the regulatory changes that the SBA uh, has made that allows for uh, for more partnering between smalls and for additional partnering partnering between larges and smalls through the All Small Mentor Protege program, 
you're finding more and more of an ability uh, to find these strategic partners and to prosper. And that's exactly what the whole point of it is. And so understand uh, where this thing is going and uh, you know, understand the rules and understand how important these strategic partnerships are. Cool. Gentlemen, thank you for coming in. Brendan Walsh, Senior VP at 1901 Group, and that is 1901group.com. Ed Delisle, Principal Attorney and Chair of the Government Contracting Group at Offit Kerman, O-F-F-I-T, one T, K-U-R-M-A-N.com. Thank you. This is not my day job. I have a year-long advisory program for small contractors that is open for enrollment. Uh, and it covers LinkedIn, social selling, content marketing, ABM, account-based marketing, or agency-based marketing, differentiating by creating a thought leadership position in your niche, and more. If you'd like information, drop me a line at mark at federaldirect.net. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off-Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. This episode is sponsored in part by U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card. You're the boss of your own life, but are you the boss of your own finances? Here at the Jordan Harbinger Show, we don't shy away from real-life conversations, and of course, one of the most taboo topics is always finances. U.S. Bank offers a wide range of credit cards for a wide variety of financial needs, and one of its most useful cards is the U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card. With a low introductory APR for 20 billing cycles, this card is a tool for getting ahead. The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card is a savvy financial tool for large purchases, unexpected expenses, and balance transfers. And with the ability to customize your payment date, this card gives you control over your financial future. Apply now at usbank.com slash platinum. With the U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card, have peace of mind for all your financial needs. To see if you qualify, visit usbank.com slash platinum. Limited time offer, the creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. Before Avid Exchange, managing accounts payable took too much time and effort. Coding and reviewing invoices, tracking down approvals, the list goes on. But with Avid Exchange, your AP is automated, so you can review and approve invoices anytime, anywhere. You'll gain greater visibility and control into your workflow, giving you time to focus on more important things. Experience the power of change. Avid Exchange. Learn more at avidexchange.com. That's avidexchange.com.